0: I made a list of famous animals in the Bible just because I was curious how many there were. And there are a bunch. The snake in Eden, for example, famous animal. Noah's Ark was filled with famous animals, right? Like two by two, the only two left of each of the species there. There's the story in the Old Testament of a lion who mauled a prophet, but not the prophet's animal. So sat next to the animal because the prophet had sinned. In the New Testament, there's all those pigs who were possessed by demons and ran down the hill to their death. There's the uh, donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem. It's pretty awesome. There's so many famous animals in the Bible. There's the ravens that fed Elijah, the worm that ate Jonah's shade leaf, the two bears that mauled 42 youths after they mocked Elisha and he cursed them. There's the lions who didn't eat Daniel. There's the dogs who did eat Jezebel. The Bible is filled with famous animals, and uh, speaking of Jonah, the whale. All these animals in the Bible are now known, and they are portrayed, some of them, depending on the story, in children's books, and these stories are taught. And today we are going to talk about one of the most famous animals in the Bible, Balaam's donkey. Balaam's talking donkey. Now what does a story about a talking donkey from Uh, like 1400 B.C. actually have to do with you and me today. A lot, and we are going to learn a ton from this story. This story takes place when the Israelites are across from Jericho, uh, hoping to enter into the Promised Land. The older generation is dying off or has died off. The new generation is rising up. And as children, uh, they either weren't born or they were too young to remember all the wonders God had done. So God is finding ways to test them and to show them His glory. The main ideas of this story today that we are going to see, if I had to narrow it down to two things would be, we'll see today an invitation to God's opponents, an invitation to God's opponents. See my plan, see it, see what I'm doing and become my servants. We'll also see an affirmation for God's people. Believe my promises, trust I'm at work, whether you can see it or not. We're in the life of Moses and Moses isn't even mentioned today. This story is behind enemy lines. It shows us what God is doing behind the scenes to protect his people. While they're turning against him, God is proving faithful in the unseen places. Let's pray and then we'll study this amazing story. Father, thank you for your word, for amazing and awesome stories in your word that showcase your glory, your love, and your faithfulness. We pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our mouths so that we might be grouped with those who bless you. And we ask, Lord, that you would show us the wonder of your plan, a plan that has been unfolding since creation and that will continue on forever and ever. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our hearts as we hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, are you there in Numbers chapter 22? If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're still looking for the book of Numbers, God bless you. I got saved later in life. I know the feeling. You'll get there eventually. Uh, I didn't do sword drills when I was a kid, (laughs) but here we are in Numbers chapter 22, and it says this, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. So you've got Jericho, and then you've got the Jordan, and then east of Jericho you uh, you have Moab. On the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho, and Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was... In great dread of the people because they were many, Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So they're in a panic. Why are they in a panic? Well, since last week when we learned about the uprising, Korah's rebellion, right? And we, we saw how God judged those who rose up against Moses. The Israelites have gone out to battle and they've defeated some pretty tough opponents. So you let's pretend you're the Midianites and you're hearing the headlines of how Israel is defeating some pretty tough kings and opponents and I'm going to tell you and it's going to startle you. You ready? The Israelites defeated Sihon. That's not it. They also defeated Og. Don't these sound like Star Trek villains? <laughs> They defeated Sihon and Og? I wouldn't go out to fight against Sihon and Og. I wouldn't want my son playing soccer against Sihon and Og. Yet they defeated them. So Israel, this next generation, is rising up, and they are defeating the people who are standing in the way of them getting into the promised land. And and they're hearing about it. So Balak has a big problem with his princes and his leaders. Well, what's he going to do? His elders are like, they're going to beat us. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king in Moab at that time, verse 5, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come up out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. They find this, the most famous like sorcerer or fortune teller around. Because this guy is like 400 miles away. All right, you're talking like a month there and then a month back to bring him here. So they're going like reaching up for the big guy and bringing him in because he's known for having this power to either know what's coming or to change the course of what's coming and they're going to bring him in. So they're going there and in verse 7 it says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. He said to them, Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, the people have come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Wow. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The princes of Moab rose, went back to Balak, and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. The first thing you can jot down is this. Here's the question Balaam is going to have to answer. Balak will have to answer it too, as will every nation in Israel's path. Are you for or against God's plan? Write that down. Are you for or against God's plan? Balak, a king with a pile of money, says to Balaam, Come and curse Israel. God shows up in a dream and tells Balaam, Don't go, don't curse them. You can see the pull between one side and the other. God has a plan, and Balaam is being enticed to go against that plan. God has a plan, and Balak is standing in the way. Of that plan, This question is not just one that Balaam is going to have to answer. This is a question every person in this room and every person in this world is going to have to answer ultimately. Are you for or against God's plan? In bringing Israel out of Egypt, God has been keeping his promises to Abraham. I will give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. God's also keeping his promises to humanity. God has said uh, that out of Abraham, the world will be blessed. He's, of course, foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah. So those who were standing in the way of Israel were standing in the way of salvation entering the world for all of humanity. In addition, they were doing it in the names of false gods. So a nation going to war against a nation was identical with their gods going to war with the gods of Israel. You have to understand that when it comes to warfare and what was happening between nations back then, it was a spiritual thing. And if a nation conquered another, they concluded their gods were the gods. All of this is tying into what's happening here. So are you for or against God's plan? This was Balaam's test. Who is Balaam? Balaam, a famous fortune teller, sought from people far away, offered a fortune, uh, was, represents a man who is tempted. He is torn in two because he has God appearing to him and he has Balak summoning him. And Balak summons him with a fortune, and God appears to him miraculously and says, don't do it. Sometimes people are confused about the nature of Balaam, because it sounds here like he has a pretty good relationship with God, but he actually doesn't. Balaam uses sorcery, he uses divination, those things are punishable by death in the Old Testament. So this is a man who is a crook a huckster. He's a guy who does things that are sinful. God is overruling his profession and actually validating that form uh, this time to show him that there's a greater reality than the one that he is making business out of. And um, he kind of is smart enough to know that he needs to go along with this, but we'll see as the story plays out that he's really looking for a way to cash in without getting killed in the process, all right? He stands for anybody who's on the fence, likes to profit, is waffling, has an encounter with God, understands who God is, but is really trying to get around God to make his dreams come true. Uh, Money is his rival God. We'll see that there are many plans on earth, including the plan of Balaam, the plan of Balak, but there is only one plan in heaven. You'll learn that too in this life or in the next. There are many plans on earth, spiritual plans, religious plans, political plans. There is only one plan in heaven. And God is acquainting them with this plan. Reading on, what does it say? It says in, so they they don't take no for an answer, right? In verse 15, once again, Balak sent princes more in number and, and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me. Hey, can you imagine if, if like the, the royal cabinet shows up? I mean, all these princes and they've got a pay, you know, I imagine like one of those publishers clearinghouse checks, you know, with your name on it. Just come, curse Israel, and all of this can be yours. Man, what a temptation. And what's Balaam going to do? And it says, they came to him and said, thus says Balak, let nothing hinder you. Verse 17, for I will surely do you great honor in whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Good start. His mouth is smooth. I mean, he knows he's being watched by a God who just appeared to him. Likely, he believes in many gods. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. God came to Balaam in the night, said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Change of plans. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went, the angel of the Lord took his stand on the way as his adversary. Let's pause there. What we'll see here as the story rolls out is God is revealing his plan to bless Israel and Balaam is torn in half by it. Jot this down. We learn here that we have to embrace God's heavenly plan. Embrace God's heavenly plan. God is warning him, go with them, only say what I tell you. God is making it clear to Balaam, if you curse Israel, you will die. If if you curse them, you're a dead man. This is proverbial. This stands for a larger truth, that if you turn against God's plan and the Savior he sent into the world, um, then God will judge you. We have to embrace God's heavenly plan. Now, who is Israel and what is their purpose? God's plan flowed out of Israel. They're accomplishing something special for the world. They are special and protected by God because his promises to Abraham were being fulfilled. They were called out of Egypt. They would settle in the promised land of Israel. There is no Israel yet. They would settle in the promised land of Israel. They would become a great nation. Out of that nation, the Lord Jesus Christ would be born. He would live the perfect life. He would die on the cross. He'd rise on the third day, and he'd save anybody from any nation, tribe, and tongue who called on him. That's the plan. This is why Israel is special and blessed and protected. It's not because they're righteous. It's not because they're better than anybody else. It's because God's promises are flowing through the country. So this is what it means to embrace God's heavenly plan. So question, Balaam, question you and me. Are you for or against God's plan? What pressure is being put on Balaam to turn against God's plan? And what pressure will be put on you I don't know who it is in your life. I don't know what it is in your life that represents the things that are pressuring you to not live your life for God. But they're there. I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is. But there's tremendous pressure to be against God's plan. Well, it says here in verse 23, as they went on their way, riding on a donkey with his two servants, they were with him. It says in verse 22, an angel of the Lord took his stand. God's angry, he sends his angels to stand in the way of Balaam. Verse 23, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. This is supposed to be comical. Donkey saw angel. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. This is great too. Donkey's taking this international celebrity with him, looks up, donkey sees angel. Donkey sees sword. Donkey gets off the road and goes into the field. Have you ever been on an animal that just decides to do its own thing? My wife was on a horse up at Silver Birch Ranch, and it just decided to go off the trail for a snack. And she's like dunk, ducking under tree branches and stuff and trying to get the thing back on the trail. It's not fun. And so here, Balaam doesn't know what to do. Uh, and so what does he do? It says, Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto The road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. This is funny too. The donkeys, now there's like a wall here, and a wall here, and an angel with a sword here. And so the donkey's like, (laughs) and Balaam's foot is getting, like, crushed against the wall. So he's not happy again. And and so it says, when the donkey saw the angel, pushed his foot up against the wall, so he struck her again. Bad donkey! Bad donkey! Back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So now the donkey's just like... Can't go left, can't go right, and I'm just plop. I'm just going to lay down because there's an angel with a sword right there. Balaam does not see the spiritual realities of heaven. God is shaming humanity. God is shaming humanity. This is the guy you're going to pay a fortune to? A donkey's got better eyes than him. I can show a donkey danger Because he doesn't see it. We're supposed to notice his blindness to true spiritual danger. We're also supposed to notice God's ability to reveal himself, even to an animal. Uh, Then what happens? It says that Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. She said to Balaam, "'What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times?' It's a real bad day for you psychologically when an animal begins to talk to you. Okay, really bad day. And it's even worse if you begin to talk back to the animal. How many of you talk to your pets? Raise your hand up. (laughs) My hand is up. (laughs) Why do we talk to animals? I guarantee you your pet has never talked back unless you have a bird. But this animal talks. Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, you think? I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? No. So now the donkey's winning this conversation. That's even worse. (laughs) Get into a fight with your animal, the animal wins. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord. And this is even funnier too. Now Balaam goes like this, and he goes, Donkey! angel with sword. And the donkey's like, da. He bowed down and fell on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Now he's in trouble in heaven because of how he's treating his animal. Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. How shameful is that? Donkey lives, human dies. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I'll turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. As God made it clear to this man that if he says one wrong thing, he's in the ground? Okay? Has God made that clear? God takes it very seriously when we talk about him. Number two, you can write this down. Are you listening to God's voice? Number one, are you for or against God's plan? Number two, are you listening to God's voice? The second and third points are both coming from the passage I just read. We're reading a lot of verses because I want the whole story to speak for itself here. And then we're pulling the points out of them. But are you listening to God's voice? How does God speak? Well, we see one way he speaks here is through a prophet. Balaam is an unlikely prophet because he is a pagan fortune teller, but God is giving him words to speak. And Balaam kind of understands this. He says, I can only speak what this God puts in my mouth, all right? So this is how God speaks. He puts his words in the mouth of an authorized messenger, and he makes clear to that messenger that if you go beyond what I tell you, you're a dead man. This is how we got this book. God appointed prophets, he authorized them to speak on his behalf, and he warned them clearly that if you mess up, you're dead. So this is prophecy in action here. And we also see, though, that many people are listening to fortune-telling back then. There are so many voices in Balaam's head. There are so many voices in Balak's head. Balak is hearing his leaders and his people and his nobles. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. So he gets Balaam to come and talk to him. Balaam has Balak's voices in his ears. Balaam has the prince's voices in his ears and the money is calling to him and that represents you and me. All these voices, all these voices calling to us, but do you hear God? Do you hear God? So many voices. Hey, who is the final voice of authority in your heart? Who is the final voice of authority in your heart? This is what's being figured out in Balaam's heart. When it comes to Donkeys talking. Some people would read this story and be like, how can a rational person believe in a book that talks about animals that are talking? Right. We've known donkeys can talk for a long time. Here's a picture of a talking donkey. Very familiar from our day and age. This is Eeyore. Okay. Talking donkey. Heard about him in my childhood. Here's another one from more recent times. This is in Shrek, the talking donkey. (laughs) so moving on. No, I'm just kidding. Here's a picture of a donkey, though. It does take incredible faith to believe that that thing can talk rationally, like actually have a conversation, Uh, but here's the way that I would answer that. If there is a God who created the universe and the stars and filled the ocean and piled up the mountains and hand-carved every different type of animal, uh, there's no reason to believe he can't make a uh, a, a donkey talk. There's no reason. So if you say there is no God, okay, you have a whole lot of problems that come with that view that you have to explain. Like, where did the universe come from out of nothing? You have a whole lot of explaining to do. Uh, But we have a God, and so because we have a God, we believe that he can do anything. Now, he has established a natural order, which means there are rules and boundaries that he has set up. Thankfully, gravity doesn't change every day. I'm grateful that I kind of know on the scale what to expect, okay? Uh, God has established a natural order, so animals don't talk except like birds But if he wanted to, there's nothing to stop a god from talking through an animal. He can do what he wants. So that's not a gigantic problem if you believe in a god. But the larger question is, how does the supernatural work? How does the supernatural realm work? And people are fascinated with the supernatural realm. When it comes to fortune telling, you might be like, those ancients, they were so like hocus pocus, weren't they? Uh, You would be wrong. Because fortune telling and mysticism is very much alive today in many different ways. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, late at night, if I stayed up, I would see a commercial with this woman on there. Her name is Miss Cleo. How many of you remember Miss Cleo? Call me now. How many of you remember Miss Cleo? She promised to tell you your future. She was the, quote, queen of late night infomercial psychics quite a title. The um, Psychic Friends Network made a billion dollars in America. Billion bucks came in. Problem is that a lot of times the advertising was false and they made it sound like it was free and so they got sued and in trouble with the FTC. Miss Cleo lied. She wasn't born in Jamaica. She wasn't a shaman. She was from LA. Anyway, just ruined my childhood. A billion bucks. What does that say about Americans? They called her now. That's what it says. They called. Why? Well, I mean, if your life is like a book, who wouldn't want to read a few chapters ahead? Am I right? Who wouldn't want to know what's coming? I have to confess, in my past, I have consulted a fortune cookie. I'm just admitting that. We kind of want to know, you know, what's coming. And so fortune-telling represents a much larger push on humanity's part to try and figure out what's coming in the future. There are many forms of this. Numerology. uh, Phrenology is like the bumps on the skull, which is wildly popular in the 1800s. Reading tea leaves, reading tarot cards, a crystal ball, a person's palm. I went into a conference once in Oak Brook, and everybody was sitting on chairs with their shoes off, and they were getting their feet red. Foot reading. It's a thing. I didn't know it. There was even a thing there where you could be trained as a foot reader. This is out there. I know somebody who went to a coffee psychic. A coffee psychic. You read the coffee, and it tells you your future. All right? This is today, people. This is today. I don't know what your guess would be at the percentage of Americans who believe in astrology, but a survey of 2,500 people revealed that 25 to 30% of Americans believe in astrology, meaning the stars can tell you something about your fate or your future. Over a quarter. This is today. This is not a back-then thing. This is today. And what do God's people believe about this? It's not just even in America. Big headline in Reuters, well, not big headline, but headline in Reuters news last week, predicting Trump, Chinese turned to fortune tellers to divine trade war. It says, in Shanghai, as analysts crunch trade data and political commentators dissect official statements for signs of how the American trade war will develop, some ordinary Chinese are using different sources to predict U.S. President Donald Trump's next moves. Good luck. They're using fortune tellers. These are not just commenters. These are investment brokers who are looking at all the financial data from Wall Street and then talking to their fortune teller and making millions of dollars in decisions based on that. People want some spiritual, supernatural edge in life. They're listening to so many different things. Jot this down. Make the final voice of authority in your heart God. Make God the final voice of authority in your heart. Just like there are so many voices of authority in Balaam's heart, in Balak's heart, there are so many in yours. And listen, God wants to be the one who's speaking to you. He doesn't want you to consult horoscopes. He doesn't want you to turn to psychics. He doesn't want you to call... Miss Cleo. He wants you to listen to his voice. Maybe you have a past or a present usage of these things. They're wicked. God has told you that you should not be using them, and you don't need them. The temptation is to try and figure out or control the future, and God is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Make God the final voice of authority in your heart. Let me ask you this question. God got Balaam's attention through a talking animal. Chances are not great God's going to use a talking animal to get your attention, but He will get your attention. And I wonder, how has God tried to get your attention in life? Typically, He will use a season of suffering to make you wonder where God is. Or He'll use a friend telling you about how he has changed or she has changed. Or God will use a close call where (gasps) something could have happened to you or a family member. (gasps) To get you to stop hitting the snooze button on the most important realities in the universe. Or maybe you hit rock bottom and all your nightmares come true. Has God been speaking to you? Has he been calling to you? Has he been trying to get you to look up and see what he's trying to show you? Are you listening? Number one, are you for or against God's plan? Number two, are you listening to God's voice? Number three, jot this down. Are you seeing God's judgment? So Balaam sees an angel. What is an angel, and who are angels, and what do they do? Angels are messengers of God. They have many purposes. They can speak for God. They can enforce God's laws. They can judge wicked people. They can protect and bless righteous people. Many uh, many wrong things are believed about angels today. People don't become angels, right? After you die, you don't become an angel. Uh, angels don't get their wings after you watch a great Christmas special. Uh, that doesn't happen. Or you ring a bell and none of that's real. Angels aren't trying to earn anything. Uh, Demons are fallen angels, which means that they are described as looking like light. Demons are described as some of the most beautiful creatures you will have ever seen in your life. So we have to know the spiritual nature of good and evil. And an angel appears to Balaam to warn him. And we know that God puts his judgment in the Bible and warnings in the Bible to warn us. God judged entire cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. He filled the earth with water in Noah's day. He, poured, he pounded Egypt with plague upon plague to show you that his judgment is before you and me. He wants us to fear his judgment. And so he shows Balaam here an angel with a sword and you're three steps away from an eternity of punishment. Wow, that should frighten us into seeing that God means it when he says it. Hey, has God opened your eyes to see his judgment standing before you? Do you still feel like God isn't real? Do you still wonder where He is? Do you still feel like He's so far away? We can't see God unless He reveals Himself to us. Like four years ago, I had big eye problems. Maybe you remember that. I got an infection in my eye, and then I got—I accidentally somehow like sliced a little bit of my eye open, went to the doctor, and an infection got in it. So here's a picture of me after my eye infection started. I had to put a sock over my eye and sunglasses under that because if light touched it, it felt like an ice pick. I couldn't see. And um, and then just at the time when I was dealing with an eye problem, my son, he hurt himself somehow. So we both had eye problems at the same time. Check that out. He's got a black eye and I've got an eye patch over my eye. But one morning I woke up and I said to Lauren, I went like this, I can't see my hand. What do you mean you can't see my hand? I said, it's all foggy. It's like, I, I can't, it's like a, the mirror after a shower. I can't even see my hand. So I went into the eye doctor. They did all these tests. And You think it's bad when you go to the eye doctor and they do the little air puff? You know that one? Oh, when you, when you have to have the next test, what they do is they sit you down in the chair, and they have this little battering ram, and they say, hold still, and then there's this blinking light, and it goes, blink, 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 blink bam! They ram your eyeball because they have to test the pressure in there. Ah! And then if that thing doesn't even get worse, they have this handheld jackhammer thing that goes. I couldn't see. But thankfully the infection cleared up and, and then one day I could see again. Hey, listen, we're born blind. We cannot see the spiritual realm. God has to open your eyes. To to what? To the reality that you have sinned, that you're guilty in his court of law, that hell is your fault, and that he wants to do something to help you. If if you're like, I'm a pretty good person, God and I have been fine forever, I've I've known God my whole life, you're blind. You're not seeing God's judgment, and it's standing right in front of you. God has to show it to you. Are you seeing God's judgment? Balaam wasn't seeing it. In 2 Peter 2, 15 to 16, it says this, forsaking the right way, speaking of false teachers, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but listen, was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Man, he was torn. He really wanted to find a way to get that money. Jot this down. Confess your sins and ask God for forgiveness. This is what Balaam did. Confess your sins and ask God for forgiveness. That's what he did. He said, I've sinned, verse 34. I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Therefore, it is evil in your sight. I'll turn back. And he said, only the word I tell you. Have you confessed your sins? Have you seen God's judgment standing in your road? How have you responded to what you've heard from God? And here's the big question. When you talk about God, does what you say about God line up with what he's revealed in his word? God says to Balaam, the angel says to Balaam, say only what I tell. If you're just making stuff up about God, stuff that makes you feel good, you're going against what God has told you about himself, and there'll be judgment. So, number one, are you for or against God's plan? Number two, are you listening to God's voice? Number three, are you seeing God's judgment? Number four, are you one of God's righteous followers? Let's read on here. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. Balak said to Balaam, did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? What's taking you so long? He's like, um, uh, I don't know how to say this. My donkey talked, uh. Balaam said to Balak, behold, I've come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. So then what happens here is Baal, Balak tries to set Balaam up to see part of the Israelites, and he says, curse them. And, and then they set up all their little sacrifices, and Balaam goes and hears from the Lord, and then he comes back, and it keeps backfiring. We can't read all of it, but I just want to read some highlights from what Balaam has to say. So they get the whole sacrifice ready, and, and now the princes are standing there. And then in verse 7, it says, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aaron, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Skip down to verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his. He cursed. He was supposed to curse Israel, and he ended up not only blessing Israel, but saying, I wish that I was like them. I wish that I, wish that I could die like them. And then, he, and then he turns around. And Balak is not happy because he's paying for this and all of his princes are around. But what you see here is he is longing, Balaam in this instance, is longing to be like God's people. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. Behold, you've done nothing but bless them. So then he takes him to another place and he utters another word in chapter 23. Uh, We read from that one. So chapter 24, look at verse 14. So you have his third oracle, his fourth oracle. And um, actually, I, I think it's in the previous one. So it says, look at chapter 23, verse 19, where it says, God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. So then he goes on in chapter 24 to keep talking about Israel. So look in chapter 24. Where in verse 5, he says, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Can you imagine having paid a fortune to this guy to curse your enemies? And he's like, how lovely are they? They're amazing. I want to be like them. This is totally backfiring. Verse 9, in the end, says, Blessed are those who bless you. Cursed are those who curse you. Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. I called you to curse my enemies. You've blessed them three times. The Lord has held you back from honor. Then Balaam does something amazing. He gives a final oracle. He starts talking about future battles. He starts talking about future victories. And he's he's predicting the future. And then he says in verse 15, he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, of him who hears the words of God who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Now, in the immediate sense, Balaam was telling Balak, your people are going to lose. Don't fight them. It's going to be... A bloodbath. Do not rise up against God's people. And you see the hard heartedness of the Canaanites? Why did God have to conquer and defeat all these people? They were warned. They they were warned by their own prophets this is not going to end well for you. It's going to be a bloodbath, and still they went to fight. But we also see that he's predicting the rule of King David, because David would be the one who would ultimately defeat the Moabites. And as this prophecy looks ahead to David, it also looks past David, beyond to King Jesus. It says here, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. What does he mean? Well, in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, it says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, listen, the bright morning star. This was looking ahead to Christ. Behind enemy lines... Nations were conspiring to take Israel out, and God used one of their own prophets to talk about the future of the coming of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to lose, Balak! Knock it off! God's going to win! And they wouldn't quit. Jot this down. Worship the one who will rule heaven forever. Balaam is a lesson for us. Two kings wrestled for Balaam's ears and eyes. Balak offered him earthly glory and fame and money. God offered him eternal fame and riches forever. Sadly, we learn the end of the story is Balaam found a way around God's commands. He told Balak to seduce the Israelites by sending in the women to seduce the men to worship their gods, and for it, Balaam paid with his life. He wanted the money. He wanted the money. God got him in the Bible. We're still talking about him. What did Balak offer him? Nothing. Balaam chose poorly. Let me ask you this question. God is offering you eternal life, riches beyond anything you can imagine. I don't know who it is or what it is that's in your ear trying to pull you against God's plan, but will you, will you believe in the one who God has been talking about for so long, the one who will rule heaven, the bright and morning star who rose up out of God's people? Will you worship him? Will you trust him? Will you love him? The way we're going to close the service today is a little interesting. We found an old hymn that so speaks to this. It's about Jesus being the bright and the morning star. God gave Balaam a chance to bless Israel. And while he did it because he had to, he didn't believe it in his heart. And the worship team's coming up now. And the way we're going to close this service is, I'm going to give you a chance to bless the one who is the king of heaven. This is your opportunity, maybe for the thousandth time, to add your voice to the chorus of praise that is going on in heaven right now, and to sing praise to the Lord Jesus, who is the rightful ruler of your life. But this is also a chance for you if you have not yet asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, if you've been living for yourself, if you have been believing nonsense about God, this is your chance to actually say true things about God and sing to the one who is the Savior. I don't want you to sing this unless you really mean it. And if you sing it, sing it with a heart filled with worship, and God will save you. He will save you, and he will accept you, and he will bless you. Let's all stand up right now. Uh, actually, what we're going to do is this. Remain seated, because this is probably not a familiar hymn. So we're going to sing it once, and then we'll invite you to stand, and then you can sing.